0: One, two, three. Yeah. Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. It's your host Scott Needham. Uh, the the goal of this podcast is to turn you into the smartest Amazon seller, so that when you see the the world that is, uh, w- what does Amazon do now? Almost four hundred billion a year. Um, that you can see opportunity, and in also you can reduce your risk. But like, I jump into a lot of different subjects. Uh, today, this one's going to hit personal because uh, one of my mistakes uh, uh, of many. But um, we, I'll just do a little bit of a backstory and then introduce uh, the guest that uh, could have been my answer. Um, so. I I'm putting a lot more effort into smart scout, my software business, but still I'm selling and I wanted to reduce the number of businesses down. And I have this private label business, got a lot of money stored up in it, you know, in inventory and all that. And I was like, well, I just want to like push this over to my software business. So I, so I went to market and uh, started selling, uh, yeah, uh, the, this brand and I knew we were a little bit outside of most aggregators target, which is a little bit below their, uh, the size deal that they like and a little bit more SKUs than they want uh close to 150 and um but you know still just uh wanted to go and we ended up uh getting an loi a fairly decent deal um not not as high as we wanted so we could talk about the market conditions as well but um it, uh, they, it, it fell through, they actually, uh, they, they turned it down after a few weeks of due diligence. And uh, boy, was that a lot of just work wasted. I mean, we've taken the brand back in now and we're, uh, you know, trying to grow it, uh, get ready for uh, some other uh, destinies. Um, but uh, so much work goes on that on the finance side on the, on the boring part of the transaction. There's a very exciting part there's like the money and the and the story but the boring part is the most important part it's what allows it to happen and i have heard uh so uh my guest is tyler jeff coat uh i've heard, he was recommended to me very early on in the process and i wish i would have used him i think uh it would have simplified it because he that's all he does is uh really uh tune in on the numbers and knows what aggregators are looking for, uh, or knows like how to clean things up well in advance. Tyler, welcome.
1: Hey, Scott. Appreciate you having me, man. It's good talking to you.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, that was a, it was a long intro a story to, to kind of put things so, so people can wrap their minds around it. Um, So you've worked and with a lot of, uh, you know, Amazon selling accounts, Work on the accounting and seen deals go through. Did anything I say, like you know, trigger you, or did I did I did I paint the picture wrong? Like how 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 are things going?
1: No, I mean you you really did paint it well. So yeah, it's seller accountant. That's my company. We we do the bookkeeping and the fractional CFO for a bunch of Amazon sellers. And I mean Scott, you're right. I think having your numbers in order, you know, it's kind of a mindset shift, right? I, I've I've really wanted my numbers. To be simple, to not be too big a deal in my life. But now I'm trying to sell the business, and now my numbers become my storytelling mechanism for the investor, right? They're gonna really understand my business through the numbers. And so, I'm gonna wish that I had good accounting. And so, you know, I guess if I could give anybody advice is do a little bit of work. This doesn't need to be a big part of your business. By the way, like I I own a bookkeeping agency and um, I'm I'm an accountant. I sold a healthcare company four years ago before starting this one. I didn't do my own darn bookkeeping in either of those businesses for the first year. And the reason is, is that as a business starter, your only job is to find a path to revenue. But yeah. when you get to a certain point, and, and I, I would say for an Amazon seller, it's probably 30 to $40,000 a month in revenue, but you reach a certain point where the where the scale um, needs, means you, you gotta mind it, you gotta keep an eye on it. All of a sudden having a decent accounting system so that you can trust it um, is a way to make sure you're not driving with mud on the windshield. You know, it's it's, you almost have to forget about, yes, taxes are important, but it's actually more about, am I making money? Is is my business profitable? And then of course you you go into due diligence and and to your point, Scott, we saw a whole bunch of deals close last year and we saw some really big ones not close as they got really close to the finish line. but even with good books, there's noise right now because the market is shifting a little bit. But if you have really bad accounting, I, I'm just seeing more and more deals just crash before they even get off the ground.
0: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a little bit of softening on the market. And uh, uh, some of the, uh, the biggest aggregators, you know, didn't, you know raise infinite amount of money again or uh there was there was rumors of uh, that one of them was going to go public and uh you know so and then you know we're a year and a half into this uh they know uh they they're scared of buying a brand and seeing it you know not be what they thought like like revenue could go down so yeah. that's the last thing like that 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 really poisons a lot of things what what that means is um, there's due diligence and they got their profile and you either fit in it or you don't. Um, and then again, that's if you're looking for like the top end, you know, uh, value in multiples, you can still sell your business at like, you know uh, there's a steady market for even the smaller uh, uh, accounts. So don't think you can't sell, like that's definitely possible. It's just at what price, but let's, let's jump in a little bit into like, what is a a data room, say you're three months out from from selling and maybe you have reasonable accounting. Um, There's work here to be done. Um, What is a data room in the context of an Amazon business? So,
1: so a data room, Scott, is once I get under LOI, so you mentioned the letter of intent that you signed with your potential acquirer a few months ago, and then you go into a period, almost like think about like, if you're buying a house and you're under contract, but you haven't closed yet. And the, and the yeah. period in between the contract and close is called due diligence. And so what they're going to be looking at is if you can imagine again, when you bought your house, you like had an inspection done and they're looking in the crawl space to make sure there's not mold or they're making sure the, the roof is not going to fall apart. Right. And so the same kind of thing happens with these investors. And Scott, to your point, they are getting better at diligencing. They're understanding which rocks to look under. And so when you think about a data room, it's literally nothing more sophisticated than I want a Google Drive or a Dropbox folder, something that's web-based, that's easy for me to share, that has really, really, uh, imagine like a really organized file cabinet of all the interesting information. You and I don't think it's interesting because we just want to run and gun and launch our ASINs and try to advertise and that kind of thing. But your due diligence team, wants uh, bank statements, uh, organized by date, clearly labeled. They want every invoice, every PO, every freight forward or every duties, right? Think about the things that really go into calculating, especially your cost of goods sold, uh, Facebook ad invoices, Google, like anything that might help them. Because guess what? Even if they have great accounting, let's say you're using a really reputable accounting firm in the e-commerce space, like even like my firm, they're still gonna independently re-engineer the Amazon data and the Shopify data to build their own picture. They're not gonna trust you. They're going to inspect it. And so the easier you can make it for them to go into a single spot and they're kind of spreadsheet monkeys and geeks on their team can go and grab what they need and make that picture clear, the better you are. And and this is the way I want you to think about it. It's almost like if you're buying a car. I'm using all these weird illustrations. Sorry about that. But like (laughs) when you walk onto the car lot, if it's like the grass isn't mowed and the guy's like greasy and he looks really shady, your anxiety goes through the roof. You don't even realize it does. And you are very, very unlikely to buy a car from that guy. But if you go there and it's clean and he treats you nice and he gets you water and he takes care of you, his job is to lower your buying anxiety because if you have lower anxiety, you get a higher price. It's the same thing for you and me. If we're trying to sell our Amazon business, we want to do everything we can to be, overly transparent hey guess what guys last january we got we got we got crushed by these air freight you know freight got really expensive let me tell you what we did to fix that issue and how it's not a problem going forward i want to be the one to confess my own problems instead of letting them discover them because they maybe tried to hide them you know that kind of thing
0: yeah um so you know we 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 built out a data room it's exactly how you described it like just a Uh, A lot of different files, a lot of different folders, and some of them are more important than others, uh, but you kind of want it all there so you don't have a back and forth email like that. It's just it you know, could slow down a process. And like you said, I, I actually think that buyer anxiety is a really interesting thing and, you know, can merit some um, discussions on its own because as an Amazon seller, we on the flip side are also selling. And so mm. what? What? what's the, I, I like that term buyer anxiety because everyone goes through it where like, um, you know, am I ready to part with dollars on something? And um, a good, clean uh, data room removes that anxiety. Your, 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 your spreadsheet monkeys aren't, you know, they aren't complaining. Okay. Um, and uh, obviously, the best way to do this is to, you know, do a little bit every month. That makes it so that uh, it's, it's easy or like it's a consistent story. I agree. Yeah, I think that maybe that's the point is if you have
1: maybe a couple of VAs working with you or or even if they're um, uh, full-time teammates stateside or otherwise, this is the moment. It doesn't matter if you're going to sell in a a month or in three years. Now is the moment to just do some basic things, because here's what you don't want to be doing, uh, Scott, like they, they email you, I'm thinking with the diligence team email you and says, Hey, we're trying to calculate lane the cost of goods sold for the red one, the red skew, we want to calculate cost of goods sold for it. And you what you don't want to have to do is now I'm going and searching through my Gmail from three years ago to try to like find the uh, invoice for my Chinese supplier. I'm just gonna forward that email. Man, that looks so shady. I mean, again, think about how much anxiety you would have if you're making a you know six or seven figure purchase and someone is that disorganized. And so if you just build it into your process, every time we get a PO, the PO goes into the folder labeled POs from this month. And then, uh, kind of Scott, to your point, you know, it's always better to have a little bit too much than to not have enough data. Um, some of the more sophisticated aggregators are even uh, wanting the 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 original uh, photos, right from your from your listings. They don't want the ones that you can just scrape off Amazon. They actually want the photos. Uh, they want the original copy so that they could, I guess, I guess they could recreate the listing if they had to or something like
0: that. But there's, just be organized. You know, there's. Uh this is a, a side topic but what's it called um you can request a full uh, like a catalog export on your if, if you if you make a case That's with Seller right. central and that can give you a lot of that information um i'm not sure if it gives the the high res photos i definitely think um you know you should be in a, have a folder like your original you know creative uh, should be uh, available
1: no doubt. I well, had actually, a funny story. I had a client that was going through diligence with one of the European-based aggregators literally just a couple of weeks ago, Scott. Did. He was calling me. Is like, I, I've just spent a 40-hour week just trying to pull down my listing. And this guy doesn't have a huge catalog. <laughs> and, that, and during that call, he discovered what you just said, which is that, hey, you could actually put a, uh, a case in and they'll give you the uh, CSV export of everything. And so um, for any of you out there who don't want to waste, you know, an entire week of your life, What Scott just said is huge. You may not have the high res original photos, you need to go ahead and have those in the data room. But if you're just trying to scrape uh, bullet points, please don't go like manually copy and paste those because that makes me sad to think that you might spend your life doing that, it's terrible.
0: Yeah, Um, uh, so that's a a quick uh, thing. Like you never know when you need it. And turns out a few weeks ago we needed it as we started doing a lot more creative work. Um, So the business that I bought was from my cousin and uh fortunately you know we could still like chat and like share stuff and we did uh request the original photos he's like hey do you still have that and um i i i think because we're cousins like you know we've made this transition process very easy for him and so he he, he gave it to us but like that's the type of stuff that um you're gonna do eventually so might as well like have some organization. Um, yeah. Sure. Well, I am um the sometimes I'm like the worst at this, but I respect accounting so much. I, I respect like I can't tell you how many people come to me and uh when they're talking about their business and like what where they're at and what and like one of my constant answers will be like, do you really know your profitability? Like, can you, uh, do you know your inventory value? Are you writing off inventory? If say like there's a leaky bucket of inventory, if you have a lot of SKUs, I guarantee you, stuff is happening that you may not be aware of. And you need to reconcile, yeah. um, maybe write off, uh, maybe you actually have more inventory than you realize. Like it, it, you you have to balance that out on a, on a consistent basis. Just so you know your numbers. Some, someone told me, um, I, At Prosper, I met a a really large retail arbitrage, like hit over 20, 30 million in sales. The largest retail arbitrage I found in, he's like, like, I don't know if we made 2 million or 4 million last year. I just don't know. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's
1: a, and that was maybe my point because I was also in in Vegas this uh, last few weeks ago with you, man. And it's amazing how often you can talk to somebody and they know their sales. Sales is vanity. They know the number of like how much I sold on Amazon last month. But if you can't, answer the question, how much profit did I make? Um, You're really driving blind. You're really putting yourself on a compromising and especially if you're any kind of a wholesale or resale model with any model, it's a different set of challenges. If I'm a reseller, my fundamental challenge is that I may lose money on each transaction if I'm not careful. If I'm a private label seller, my fundamental challenge is I may run out of cash if I don't manage my cash cycle enough to re to to understand my working capital that's tied up in inventory in prior prioritize the better SKUs over the worst SKUs. Either way, the answers to those two questions. Did I make money last month? If so, how much? And two, where is my capital tied into my inventory? Do I have enough for next month? Do I not have enough? We really uh, forget about selling the business. You got to have that just to drive the business. Yeah, and I totally. think if you took any meaningful steps towards I, I understanding think, the
0: answers. I almost think everything that you do um, it, it, and they say like raising, like maybe you're going to take a loan or whatever, like everything you do has like added risk. If you don't know, yeah. I say that because I've taken on plenty of money and like, I don't think we knew, knew <laughs> and, um it's a little bit harder to unwind. And I right. mean, it, it certainly just costs money. Like I just, I think this is like, think of this as like technology. Your money is technology. If you um, have good numbers uh you it's kind of like an unlock of like uh you, how you can drive your business um so now let's get real nerdy for a second i think i've never brought this up but i hear it and i and i i have a hard time like focusing but cash accounting versus accrual accounting and um how what which one's easier and which one an Amazon seller should do? Okay. yeah, so so for any
1: of you out there who just threw up, I'm sorry, um, we generally wouldn't do this to any of our friends, but listen, cash versus accrual. there are two there are two basic ways to do your accounting. If you're a relatively small business, less than twenty five million in the states, you can choose to file your taxes on a cash basis. What that means is when cash goes out of my account, I expense it. So think about this, if you're buying like private label inventory and I send a $100,000 wire to my Asian supplier, doing cash basis accounting means I would expense that inventory the day that I stroked the check or sent the wire to them. In other words, the moment of expense is the moment of cash changing hands. But that doesn't help us understand profitability in e-commerce and here's why Scott, I'm not gonna sell those units until five months from now when they land and Amazon finally receives them and I can actually sell them, right? And so accrual accounting is an effort to slow down that expense and line it up in the same month when I actually sell it. Because what I wanna be able to answer the question to is, okay, I got $100 for the unit, I paid Amazon 15 points for the commission, I had a pick and pack fee of $20, and I spent $10 on advertising, how much money did I actually make when I sold that product? I can't answer that question if I already expensed the inventory six months ago. I've got to still have it sitting in my kind of quote unquote warehouse, in my inventory account, so that I can expense it when it's time for the product to get shipped to my customer. And so uh, the answer to your first question is, obviously cash basis is easier in some ways, right? It's not as sophisticated. I get to just tell my bookkeeper to write it off as soon as, hey, if you see a check clear my account, That just means um, that's an expense. I was was an accounting student in a really, really good accounting school, and my most genius professor, Scott, was able to turn the most complicated things into smiley face, frowny face, right? Yeah. So if you go to your bookkeeper and you're like, hey, if my account goes down, let's expense it, right? That's cash basis accounting. But if you go back and say, I actually want to understand whether I made money or not, let's inventory, leave it on our balance sheet for a few months and then expense it when we ship it, that would be accrual basis accounting, which is crucial if you're going to sell your business.
0: Okay. Um, Is it is it crucial just because it's more uh, clear about profitability? Or is it? uh, Is there a chance to get it wrong? If uh, you're on cash basis? So I think in terms of
1: ultimate accuracy, cash basis is a little harder to screw up, right? I just expense exactly the hundred thousand dollars I sent to my factory. The issue is that it doesn't tell an accurate picture of your profitability. So uh, I want you guys to do an exercise. If you pull up your profit and loss statement or your spreadsheet and look at it like, you know, month over month, January, February, March, April, that kind of thing. If your profit margins are swinging wildly each month, you look like a genius one month because you made some crazy 50% profit. And then the next month, you look like an absolute idiot because you lost money. That probably means that your accounting isn't telling you an accurate story. And so a cruel accounting, Scott, is just let's line the expenses up with the month that we actually ship the product to our customer so that we can expect our margins to be consistent. And here's why this is so important. As a CFO, because I'm the CFO for for nine figures a year of e-commerce sales, if I look at someone's gross profit after ads, and that number is changing, let's say it was 15% last month and it's 25% this month and it's 35% you know the following month, I need I need to take action if I see that kind of swing in margin. I need that margin to not be BS. I need to be a real change in margin because it may tell me that my advertising is broken. It may tell me my pricing strategy is broken. And so if I have cash basis accounting, I'm going to tend to do what most entrepreneurs do, which is just ignore the numbers. Well, that's probably just noise in the accounting. I, I really did make money. I don't have to trust this P&L, you know. And if you can say that to your P&L, if you can kind of tell your uh, your profit and loss to piss off because it doesn't really tell you whether you're profitable, that's a problem because as entrepreneurs, we need feedback. We need something to tell us if we're making a mistake so that we can change course and make better choices.
0: That's a good way to put it. Like I of the... Yeah, if you're if your numbers are like I've seen the ups and downs month over month and then but, but like really especially like private label business um they should be pretty consistent, you know. It, say your inventory is is fine, like you're going to do the same amount, but like you may, you know, order and ch- uh, do your your big, you know, PO one month and then on, on the next month you don't. Like that shouldn't change your profitability. That just means you're moving money from cash to inventory. Um, interesting. Well, um, so um, how long, uh, so, well, final question is, if someone's planning on going to market, how long should they be preparing for it before? Like maybe they are following good practices. Um, how long does like accounting diligence take? So, so you need to
1: have at least a couple of years of good accounting to get through most diligence. And Scott, I've actually seen this movie, it used to be 24 months, it used to be if I'm gonna sell tomorrow, I need to make sure that the prior 24 months are good so that the guy trusts the books enough to give me a valuation on the most recent year. But because 2020 was so amazing for most sellers, most categories in 2021, especially last summer, was so abysmal for some categories, kind of of a a reversion back to the mean, an increasing number of these investor aggregators are wanting 2019, 2020 and 2021 books to be clean because they wanna be able to kind of trace the line of your business back prior to the pandemic. And so if I were gonna sell my business in a year, I would wanna start having good books today I would wanna start doing the little things to build my data room today. And I would also wanna start wiping off any unnecessary expenses. Like let's say, I'm, you know, listen, I'm allowed to take my business partner slash wife to Hawaii and have my annual retreat for my leadership, right? I mean, there are are things that from a tax standpoint, you may be able to write off, but if I'm trying to get maximum value for my business, here's the rule. Yes, you're gonna get some ad backs, but I win every single ad back battle I do not have to have. So say that again, if I don't have to fight the aggregator to to define whether this is an ad back or not, I always win that battle because the money never got spent through this entity. And so here's how I would recommend you do that, Scott, if you have a year, open a second entity have Tyler Jeffcoat LLC. I'm gonna run my cell phone. I'm gonna run my my uh, you know my internet through it. If I need to go to Prosper Show or another one of these shows, I'm gonna run my expenses there. I'm gonna leave my P&L for this asset I'm gonna sell squeaky, absolutely squeaky clean. I don't want any garbage on it at all because if I have to fight for an ad back, I'm gonna lose some of those battles and I don't wanna lose those.
0: Wow, <laughs> that's crazy. I never, that's a really interesting tip and um i mean ad backs are your friend they they're they're essentially they go straight to um you know your your bottom line which then you get a multiple on it so
1: I might want to define it. So like, just in case you guys aren't familiar with that, you have like a net profit on your profit and loss. And then literally, the broker is going to try to help you add back some of the expenses that the new guy won't have to continue paying to arrive at a number they call SDE or seller's discretionary earnings. And my point is, is, yeah, they're going to give you some add backs. But let's try to limit the number of battles we have to fight because we want, uh, we don't want to get dinged, Like, for instance, here's a good example. Like, with contractors that are maybe, um, maybe I'm running, maybe I'm building software in addition to running my seller business, right? And I'm using contractors for both. I got to be really careful because the investor may not allow me to add back those contractor wages, even though I tell them, no, 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 no. Half of their time was building the software. Half their time. I mean, <laughs> That's yeah. a very complicated
0: thing to win. And, you know,
1: you're going to lose that battle. And at a three X multiple, you're going to lose a lot of money having to fight that battle. And so my point is just to have clean, separate, easy to follow books. Um,
0: Okay. What is, uh, let's, let's just uh, finish off with this. Um, What is the uh, average multiple right now?
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny. What was it? Three years ago, it was like 2.5. And then a year ago it was like five or something like that. It was just gigantically uh, larger. And I still think that, Scott, to answer your question, I think the, the aggregators have gotten better at knowing what their profile is. You said that early in the show. And if you fit that profile, if you have really premium profitability, uh, your product is really differentiated, you're still going to be able to command you know a six plus X kind of multiple right now. But if you're a little bit more of a I'm co-branded with Amazon and I don't really have a funnel for generating sales outside of the Prime, like Prime is my brand, I just happen to be Prime Plus Tyler's product. That is okay. I have a lot of clients that make a lot of money as private label sellers. You're probably going to see some reversion back to the, I eh, call it three and a quarter x cash up front with maybe one or two x and earnouts um, over the next couple of years. I don't know if that makes sense, but the um, where yeah, yeah uh,
0: actually, uh, what, what do you mean by
1: the uh, earnout? So most of these deals include some like, let's say that they decide to value your business. Let's say that they tell you your business is worth five X Scott, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay you three X on day one, and you're going to have the opportunity. Should the profitability continue to improve to capture up to another couple of X's. So in other words, if you're in the investor, I don't, If I'm the investor, I don't want to pay you all my money right now because I need that money to pay inventory and to buy marketing. And I also want to de-risk the investment by saying, Scott, I'll pay you later if the asset performs well. And so if you're selling your business, your job is to try to get as much money up front as you possibly can. If you're buying the business, your job is to try to push those payments into the future. And there's kind of a dance. And so an earn out is one of the two most popular ways of getting paid later.
0: But how does an uh, earnout out with specifically with the FBA businesses like like what's uh, what is a one X earn out like it, 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 what if the what if the business just stays the exact same profitable?
1: Yeah. And, and I've seen a lot of different models. Um, okay. Most of the time, it's something like let's call it like 50 percent. Hey, we, we decided that profit equals one hundred thousand dollars. Anything above a hundred thousand dollars in profit, you're going to get half of it um, over the next two years. And but here's the challenge of that. Maybe this is a warning to some of the guys. I have a lot of clients that are really upset with aggregators right now because they because the aggregators spent a lot more money on advertising than my clients did. And so those stabilization payments and those earnouts. Are not, I'm going to repeat that, not coming to fruition here like we thought they would a year ago. And so I think that the aggregators are getting a little bit smarter. But if I have the ability to take a slightly smaller value, but get it either tied to revenue, like here's an example, like if I could somehow have the earnout be five percent of revenue growth instead of it being tied to how many expenses this the uh, aggregator spent i would do that all day every day because if it's defined by something i'm actually the expert arbiter uh arbitrator for um, an aggregator that if they get in a dispute about the definition of profit i have to be called in next year to define profit for them but unless you have an expert like maybe like me on your apa saying, hey, if I had a dispute, this objective person is going to have to arbitrate it. You need to have as clean and simple a definition of profit as possible because one is that they want to try not to pay you. (laughs) If they can help it, they'd rather not part with that extra money. And two, all of them performed poorly last year. All of them. Now that's not 100% true for, for every single aggregator that we've worked with. And we directly work with several of them, but they had a pretty tough year like we all
0: did. Supply chains were terrible. Advertising was terrible. Uh, quantity limits is just amazing. Um, yeah. One of the ugly parts of our my private label business is the cost, what it took to run the business skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. We, ne- we needed only $350,000 of inventory to run. And then that ballooned up to like $600,000, $700,000 of inventory to, like, to run. Quantity limits alone did that so yeah not surprised that some of them got hit in the face um and uh but i i i work with a lot of them they're 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 getting smarter and they admit some of their faults you know and uh uh but th- but they they are learning you know what it takes to be an amazon seller i mean i let's hope they are if they're uh hiring the right types of people um okay well uh tyler thank you so much for uh sharing um i heard uh you told me that you're launching your own podcast uh what's the name of it return on podcast um what's the uh tell me more about that name yeah, so,
1: so you hear about ROI, return on investment. I'm CFO boy. So I want to talk about the intersection of e-commerce and investing. And this kind of goes to your point there a minute ago, Scott, where I don't know how happy I am with my profit until I know how much inventory I'm having to carry. My return on the investment, that 300000 to 600000 jump is a game changer in terms of how happy you are with the investment. We're going to try to help people get better at managing that investment on, on the podcast, return on podcast.
0: Okay, cool. ROP instead of ROI. There you, right. go. Um, there you go. Well, uh, so look for that podcast. And uh, if you need uh, Tyler, he's uh, very available and and well-known in the community. Um, and uh, and uh, we'll, we'll wrap up there. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And if uh, you know someone that's going to exit in a few months, well, you better send them this episode so they uh, are, are ready for the for maybe some humbling, or maybe, you know, to, to roll up their sleeves. And uh, I I actually have had, uh, you know, I just got back from Prosper and, and Tyler and I were going to meet up there, but I just missed him. And how was Prosper for you, Tyler? It was great. I, I enjoyed
1: it. This is the first time in three years. I'm not, I wasn't speaking. I didn't have a booth. I didn't have any employees there. I just got to chill and network. And it was, yeah. uh, I had a lot of fun. Yeah. I, but you guys had a booth. Was it successful?
0: Oh yeah. Uh, we, we've outpositioned some of our competition. It was a lot of easy conversations. Uh, we are cheaper and better than, um, I won't call them out now. Maybe I'll call them out some other day, but, um, cause I don't want them to, I don't want them to know what we're doing. They'll figure it out. But every every month that they don't know what we're doing that's great
1: you know Um, scott when you're cheaper and you're better things tend to go really well it's amazing
0: um but what was i got a lot of people that like they actually listen to the podcast and so uh thank you everyone for listening and uh it really is like that like that's why i'm like doubling down i want the podcast to to continue to have good guests like tyler uh and i want to uh you know throw in the passion because uh it, it, it's been it's been great. It's been great. I've almost been doing it for three years now. That is a scary sentence to say, um, but it's gotten more valuable and I've changed how I have thought about it. And uh, it's it's been great. So thank you, everyone, that uh, I got to meet in person. And hopefully if you we haven't, then uh, we'll have a chance to soon. Hi, I'm Scott Needham, a top 100 Amazon seller and founder of Smart Scout. Growing your Amazon business globally might seem impossible. I use Z's importing and compliance service for my FBA business. And so should you. As an Amazon seller, you want to focus on what you're best at, selling your products. Z is a one stop shop for global expansion of your Amazon business. If you have a winning product, there is no reason it won't succeed in a foreign market. Visit z.co and use Scott in the description to get 50% discount on your first shipment. Expand with ease, expand with Z. Now we'll wrap up. (laughs) Okay, thanks everyone and stay tuned and I'll catch you on the next episode. One, two, three. (laughs)